0: So let's listen to Proverbs 1, starting in verse 8. Listen, my son, to your father's instruction and do not forsake your mother's teaching. They will be a garland to grace your head and a chain to adorn your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, don't give in to them if they say, Come along with us. Let's w- lie in wait for someone's blood. Let's waylay the harmless soul. Let's swallow them alive like the grave and whole like those who go down to the pit. We will get all sorts of valuable things and fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot with us and we will share a common purse. My son, don't go along with them. Don't set foot on their paths. For their feet rush to sin. They are swift to shed blood. How useless to spread a net in full view of all the birds. These men lie in wait for their own blood. They waylay only themselves. Such is the end of all who go after ill-gotten gain. It takes away the lives of those who get it. Wisdom calls aloud in the street. She raises her voice in the public squares. At the head of noisy streets, she cries out. In the gateways of the city, she makes her speech. How long... Will you, simple ones, love your simple ways? How long will mockers delight in mockery and fools hate knowledge? If you had responded to my rebuke, I would have poured out my heart to you and made my thoughts known to you. But since you rejected me when I called, And no one gave heed when I stretched out my hand. Since you ignored all my advice and wouldn't accept my rebuke, I will in turn laugh at your disaster. I'll mock when calamity overtakes you, when calamity overtakes you like a storm, when disaster sweeps over you like a whirlwind, when distress and trouble overwhelm you. Then they will call to me, But I will not answer. They will look for me, but not find me. Since they hated knowledge and did not choose to fear the Lord, since they wouldn't accept my advice and spurned my rebuke, they will eat the fruit of their ways and be filled with the fruit of their schemes. For the waywardness of the simple will kill them, and the complacency of fools will destroy them, but whoever listens to me will live in safety and be at ease without fear or harm.
1: Well, good morning. Great to be back with you after our trip to Israel, 45 of us. Uh, covering the land of Israel, all the major sites. And it was really a blessing to be able to walk where Jesus walked and just see the lay of the land and learn so much about it. We had a great tour guide. And so uh, probably the best part, though, for me was just being with others of you from Cole and enjoying the sweet fellowship we had together and communion and all kinds of things we had together. Worship. But it's good to be back here worshiping with all of you. Americans love choices, don't we? And we want to have all kinds of choices. We don't want to be limited to just one opportunity. We want all kinds of choices. So we've surrounded ourselves with an incredible number of choices. I remember going with my dad to the coffee shop years back in our little hometown and, uh, You really, when we sat down and all the businessmen got together and I sat down with them, you had one choice. Coffee. (laughs) This week I went and uh, hung out with somebody at a coffee shop and I had many choices of coffee shops. And then when I actually chose one, I had so many choices that it's hard to choose. Do I have a frappuccino? Do I have a latte? Do I have regular coffee? Do I have decaf? Well, I decided on a latte, but that means I can still have decaf or half-caf or full calf and I can have different sizes, and I can have different flavors, or I could have a cappuccino. Of course, there's at least 30 different flavors of syrups to choose from, but then I can either choose one of those flavors, or I can have sugar-free of those flavors, and I can have ice, I can have hot. It goes on and on. But we Americans love our choices, and we have a lot We make every day. Some of the choices are more important than the kind of coffee you drink. What kind of job you choose. It used to be that basically you did whatever your parents did. And now there's so many choices of schools and training and job opportunities. If you're going to buy a house, you have to make decisions about a house. And how do you know you're choosing a good house? How do you know how to choose who you want to date? What college to attend? You see, our lives are full of choices every day. And the most significant ones really are the ones day to day, how we choose to use our time. How we choose to use our money. How we choose our friendships. And in this multitude of choices, how do we make good decisions? Because life is like Navigating a ship through islands and rocks and you can't see out of the rocks. How can you make sure you make choices that are good for you and for others so you don't crash on the rocks? Well, the world tells us, you know, your choices really don't matter that much. Whatever you choose is fine. As long as it doesn't really hurt someone else, which is by their definition, <laughs> not hurting someone else, then it's fine. So do whatever you want. But the Bible tells us something very different. God speaks to us very clearly and says our choices do matter. Maybe not what kind of coffee you drink, but how you spend your time, how you spend your money, who you spend time with, whether you choose to live a life of selfishness or whether you choose to live a life of sacrifice and love. For the others and those choices can be hard to make and hard to decide about what's best, but it's important how we choose because you see, God created this entire universe and he created it as a moral universe. This is a moral universe we live in and choices in line with his will bring us life and blessing choices not in line with his will. Bring destruction, pain, suffering, and death. That's just the way it is. This is a moral universe, just as it is a natural universe that God created. God created the world with natural laws. Like, if you step off a cliff, you will fall, you will die. It's a natural law. If you touch a hot stove, you will get burned. It's a natural world that God has created and it will hurt. It will cause pain. God created the world as a natural world with law, natural laws. But he also created this as a moral universe. So if you choose to violate his laws, you will get burned. You will get hurt. Maybe not immediately. And that's what fools us sometimes. But there will be negative consequences. If you choose to have an affair, it may feel better for a short time but you will cause destruction and death in your own life and others' lives. That's the reality of living in a world that was created by God as a moral universe. So how do we make good decisions? Decisions that will be good for us and for others. Well, our normal way of trying to make good decisions, I think, is to get more information. If I just know more. Then maybe I can figure out the best decision. That's our attempt. And, you know, if we could know everything, all the future and past and consequences of our choices, that might work. But we can't. You see, we are so limited in our understanding that more knowledge doesn't help us. In fact, we live in a world now where more knowledge is available than at any time in history. And you don't even need experts. Experts. All you need to do is click on the Internet and you can have a wealth of information about any subject immediately right there on your computer screen. And yet it has not helped us make better decisions. We don't need just more information, more knowledge. No, we need something that the Bible calls wisdom. Wisdom is how you apply knowledge. Wisdom as Rod said last week is the skill of living life according to God's plan. It's an ability to make wise decisions, decisions that lead to blessing and life for yourself and others instead of that lead to death and destruction. Wisdom is being able to make choices that fit with God's moral universe that he has placed us in. So maybe the real question then becomes, how do we get wisdom? How can we get wisdom so that we can make wise decisions? Well, that's what our study in Proverbs over this summer is all about. And no matter how old you are, it's never too late to learn wisdom. No matter how foolish you may have been in the choices you've made in your life, it's never too late to learn wisdom. So today... We are going to be talking specifically in our passage <clears throat> about who to whom are you listening for guidance, for wisdom? Who do you look to? Parents, mentors, peers, or lady wisdom? So let's dig in together this passage that Cynthia read for us Proverbs chapter one, beginning in verse eight. And it begins this way Hear, my son, your father's instruction. And do not forsake your mother's teaching. Here you see right at the beginning. Solomon lays out as a guide for us. Shows us that the primary place that wisdom is meant to be learned is in the home. That's God's design. Now, we don't all have wise parents, and we haven't learned some of us, a lot of wisdom in the home, but that is God's original design that both mother and father should both teach that they should be a unity, that it doesn't come just from one or the other, that they both should teach their children in a way that leads them to discover wisdom. So here you see parents taking responsibility for that. I have talked to a number of parents who have said this. You know, I just want to let my kids make their own decisions. I mean, I'll give them a little guidance, but I want them to make their own decisions about religion. About values, about moral choices. And that's certainly reinforced by our world. We'll let our kids make their own decisions about right and wrong, etc. But understand that's like saying in a moral universe, that's like saying, you know what? I want to make let my kids make their own decision. You know, I know they're only three and four years old, but I'm going to let them make their own decision about whether it's okay to play on the freeway during rush hour. I mean, you know, I'm, I think they should discover for themselves what's right and wrong. Well You're abandoning them to destruction if you don't take responsibility to do what you can to teach your children wisdom, right and wrong. But let me say that it, for parents... Our job is not to control the behavior of our kids. That's a temptation and that's a tendency. We want, we want our kids to go a certain way and so we try to control everything they do so they fit inside a little box and do certain things. That is not what God's called us to do, ultimately. Our job is not to control our kids. Our job is to teach them wisdom so they learn to make wise decisions for themselves. So they learn to choose wisely. And that's a harder task. But notice it does take instruction. It takes teaching. Listen to your father's instruction. Don't forsake your mother's teaching. Wise people listen to teaching. Wise people don't have to learn the hard way. They don't ignore teaching and just go their own way and have to learn that way. You see, that's foolish responding. And we want to help our kids learn from our teaching so they can learn from our mistakes. That is wisdom to hear and to change because of what we hear from others. So there's a call here to listen, to hold on to the teaching. And notice what it says in verse nine. The result will be. Indeed, they are a graceful wreath to your head and ornaments about your neck. If you can learn to hear instruction, whether it's from your parents or maybe a mentor, or a pastor, or whomever it is God's placed in your life to give you teaching and wisdom, and you learn to embrace that, it says your life will become more and more attractive and beautiful to others. Think for a minute with me. Think of somebody in your life that you have felt or said, Wow, when I grow up, I want to be just like them. I would guess whoever comes to mind is somebody who has a lot of wisdom and their lives have been graced by the wreath, by the ornament around their neck. There's a beauty about their lives because they have learned to make wise choices. And God says, if you learn to accept wisdom and learn, then your life will become more and more attractive to others, more and more beautiful. But a tendency is for us to ignore instruction from others, and to listen instead to peers, the flesh, the world, all those can be grouped together in our next section here and the father gives a very clear picture of what they are like in verse ten through fourteen he says, "My son, if sinners entice you, do not give in, do not consent these sinners are peers, they are the world out there they are." our own flesh appealing to us. And the father points out what they are like. You see, this parent, this father, Solomon writing here, doesn't try to protect his son from the world out there and all its enticements. Instead, he points them out. He says, look, this is what they're saying. Listen, look at what they're saying and let me explain it to you so that you can understand it. That helps someone develop wisdom by helping them see what the world is offering and the enticement of it and then the problems with it. So he explains what they say. Verse 11, if they say, and notice, come with us. Let us lie in wait for blood. Let us ambush. And then verse 14, throw in your lot with us. We shall all have one purse. Notice what the enticement is there. Belonging in every human heart is this desire to belong somewhere, Uh, to be in a group where we feel accepted, where we feel like we're part of it. And no matter what we do, it's okay. So this is what the world, what sinners, what our peers tend to offer us. They say, hey, come on, join with us. You can be one of us. Throw in your lot. We'll all have one purse. We can all be one together. And that's very appealing to us. That, of course, is the appeal of gangs. People who don't have any real connection anywhere else. They don't belong. They don't feel like they belong anywhere. And they say, come on, join with us and we'll do all these things. And you get to be part of us. Or cults do the same. Though their teaching is bizarre and wrong and unbiblical, yet it's very attractive because they say, come, you can be part of us. You can belong to us. We'll love you. We'll care for you when no one else does. And that's very enticing. But the world also entices us with a desire for excitement. Verse 12, let us swallow them alive like Sheol, even whole as those who go down to the pit. Or let us lie in wait for blood. Verse 11, let us ambush the innocent without cause. You see, many of us in our lives though we're busy and we have a lot going on, we're kind of bored. And we want some kind of excitement. And it's very enticing. And the world entices us by saying, you know, if you just do this, compromise your values just a little bit, it won't be harmful, but jump in, join with us, and we'll give you some real excitement in your life if you're willing to compromise your values. Those little enticements like, you know what, I'm just... Tempted to flirt with this woman at work. Or. I'm tempted to flirt with that guy at the workout place. It won't hurt anything. Or to get on in the chat room and maybe there'll be somebody there that'll just be really tantalizing to talk to. It'll be exciting. Or we get tempted to look at porn on the Internet. We, t- we are tempted all kinds of ways to compromise our values For some excitement. And that's what the father points out. Look, it sounds exciting, doesn't it, son? Doesn't it sound exciting? We also long for power. And here he's describing, we'll swallow them alive like Sheol. Most of us feel very powerless in our lives. And we long to have some sense of of significance, some sense of power. And there's an appeal that the world makes to have power over others because we feel so powerless. In the face of such a complex world. And so the world says, hey, you can dominate other people if you'll just choose this. You can gain status if you'll just compromise your values again and walk with us. The the world also tries to entice us with gain. Verse 13. We will find all kinds of precious wealth. We will fill our houses with spoil. Who doesn't want a full house of wealth of spoil? Money is very attractive. You can do so much more with it. And so the father points out, hey, this is what they say. You can gain more. So the temptation is to compromise our values to get it, to get money, to cheat on our taxes a little bit, to hide our assets so no one knows, to take a little from the till. We figure we can get away with it and we rationalize that we deserve it because we work so hard. And no one else understands. You see, the world is very tempting because there's parts of us that long for these different things. When I was in eighth grade, I was president of our school. I had a lot going on outwardly. Things looked good in my life. But inwardly, I was I was lonely. I wanted to belong somewhere. And I was bored in a lot of ways. And a small group of friends said, hey, come with us. You know, you're such a goody two shoes. Why don't you come with us? And, you know, we're going to get drunk. You can stay at our house. We'll get drunk. No one will know. It'll be great. It'll be exciting. And over time, I thought, wow, you know, that does sound pretty good. That sounds fun. And, you know, I want to be part of the in group. So I went. Got drunk and we wandered around town drunk as an eighth grader, you know. And and it wasn't so fun, especially the next day. There are consequences to those kinds of choices. But I was fooled because the world is very enticing because of all these enticements. And the father points them out and he says, hey, this is what the world will offer you. And it will sound really good. But he doesn't stop there. He doesn't mince words. He goes on to verse 15 and he says, my son, you're going to hear all this, but don't walk in the way with them. Don't. Step even on the path. Keep your feet from their path. This kind of peer pressure. Yeah, you'll be tempted. But wisdom means looking at the consequences of your actions. Wisdom means looking beyond. Yes, understanding the temptation, but then realizing, oh, don't even step on that path. Because once you take one step, it's so easy to take another and another and another. So the father says, Don't even step that way. I love the way the father doesn't protect the son from everything. He points it out, but then he says, Don't even step that way. And then he explains more about it. He says, First of all, don't go that way because that's an evil path. Verse 16, their feet run to evil and they hasten to shed blood. He just says, Let's call a spade a spade. This is a moral universe, and if you choose to go against God, it's evil. When you compromise your values, it's evil. Secondly, he says, people who do that, who step on that path, who compromise their values, are stupid. Notice what he says. He says, it's useless, verse 17, to spread the baited net in the sight of any bird. But these guys lie in wait for their own blood. They ambush their own lives. You go to he's saying there. He's saying, look, you wouldn't even make a snare for birds in the sight of the birds. The birds are smart enough to not go there. And yet evil people are dumb. When you step out and evil, it makes you stupid. And you end up making a snare, ambushing yourself. You're doing greater harm to yourself than to anyone else. I don't know if you read sometimes at the back of scene magazine and paper, dumb criminals. I laugh at it. How, how dumb can they be? Like, you know, one of the stories I read of a guy who, who robbed a, a store, took a bunch of things and you know, there were security cameras. He knew that they were all there. They got good pictures of him. They knew basically what he looked like and everything. And they reviewed that. And, Well, he took all these things home and then he thought, well, I don't really want this. I'd want something else. So he took it back to exchange it. And they recognized him and arrested him. Duh. Evil moral choices make you stupid. And you end up doing things that are just harmful to you and to others. And then finally, the father says this. Verse 19. So are the ways of everyone who gains by violence. It takes away the life of its possessors. Evil destroys your life. It brings you death. There are always consequences. You have a hardened heart. You have frustration. It destroys your relationships. It destroys your ability to see reality. It makes you dumb. Let me just give you an example. The world says, and this is very common in our world, and too many Christians have accepted this, that sex before marriage is okay. If you really love each other and you're probably going to get married anyway. And too many of our young people have bought this lie. But the truth is sex before marriage undermines your, your ability to really love well. It breaks down trust in the relationship because this person wasn't willing to wait. They didn't love you enough to wait. It destroys your ability to sacrifice for one another and it undermines your ability to even stay married because the statistics show that those who live together before marriage have three times a higher rate of divorce. You see, it destroys any ability for a real, solid marriage. Now, if you've done that, obviously God can forgive and change, but I'm just saying evil destroys your life. It brings death. There are consequences. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. God can forgive and redeem, yes. But there are consequences to our choices. So we have these voices telling us, hey, what should we listen to? Do you listen to your parents or your mentors? Do you listen to your peers and the world out there? Or ultimately, are you listening to Lady Wisdom? And the passage goes on now to describe Lady Wisdom. Verse 20, it says, Wisdom shouts in the street. She lifts her voice in the square at the head of the noisy streets. She cries out. At the entrance of the gates in the city, she utters her sayings. Notice the lady wisdom cries out in the streets, in the public sphere. Sometimes we think, well, how do I get wisdom? Um, Do I have to go to some guru who really knows everything? Is it some secret thing that I have to discover? No, wisdom shouts in the street. You see, God wants us to give, wants to give us wisdom. He wants us to know Wisdom. He wants us to make wise choices. And so he makes wisdom available to us. It's available if you're a believer by the Holy Spirit. It's available in his word. It's available through wise people around you. It's available in your own conscience. You have a sense of right, right and wrong. You see, wisdom is available to us if we are willing to be open and seek it. So it shouts in the streets. Maybe you had unwise parents. Maybe you've never had a good mentor. Wisdom is still available to you. Maybe you've made really foolish choices in your life up to this point. You know what? Wisdom is now available to you. If you're willing to say, I've been a fool. Teach me wisdom. Teach me wisdom. Verse 22, Lady Wisdom says this. How long, O naive ones or simpletons, will you love being simple minded? And scoffers delight themselves in scoffing and fools. Hate, knowledge. Three different kinds of fools here. And throughout the book of Proverbs, they come up over and over and over again. But it's, it's a good overview for us of what sometimes goes on in our own hearts. First, she addresses the simpleton or the naive. Who is the naive person? The petit in Hebrew. Who is it? Well, the naive person is one... Who is kind of accepts everything. Yeah, that makes sense. I really like that. Oh, yeah, I really like that, even though they're diametrically opposed. Kind of accepts and embraces everything, but never really commits to anything. Really open minded. That's the simpleton. As some have said, they're so open minded, their brains fall out. That's a simpleton. Never willing to really commit to truth and embrace it. And that's our culture today. Be tolerant of everything. Don't commit to anything. What a fool? You're a fool if you commit to anything is what the world says. God says, no, it's foolishness not to commit to truth. You are a simpleton. The second kind of fool is the third one in this verse. I want to go there because it's in a progression is the fool. The Kessel, the fool. And the fool is someone who is arrogant who already has their mind made up and they are not teachable. And so you can talk to them about things. You can share your opinion. You can share something with them, but they're not open to learning anything new because they already think they understand well enough and they're just fine. Thank you. And they are not teachable. They do not want to hear from you. And God says that kind of person whose mind is made up, who doesn't realize with a humility, how much they have to learn is a fool. The third kind of fool is a mocker or scoffer. Now, the mocker or scoffer is one who is also very arrogant, who has his mind made up, but is committed to criticizing everybody else. This is what I believe, but man, look at that idiot. Look what he says. Look at it, you know, I'm right, you're wrong, and they love to point out the errors in everybody else. Those are mockers and scoffers, and they're the most hardened of the three. They are not open to truth, and they end up destroying community and destroying relationships because of their critical attitude. You know all three of these kinds of people, don't you? If you take time to think about it, these are the reality of people in our lives. They are the fools that we deal with every day, and some of us have been these fools in our own life as well. Ultimately, fools don't admit that they need to be taught. They don't pursue wisdom, and they don't embrace it when they hear it. So notice what Lady Wisdom says. Now, verse 23, if you have an NIV, I think it's a poor translation. A better translation, I think, is this. In the New American Standard, turn or repent to my reproof. Behold, I'll pour out my spirit on you. I will make my words known to you. It's a call for repentance. You're a fool, but... If you turn to me, you can learn wisdom. You can be set free from your foolishness if you'll only repent and be open to learning truth. And I'll pour it out on you. I'll help you to know the truth if you're only open. You see, humility is the key to gaining wisdom. And then the passage ends, and we won't take time to read it all, to show the the consequences of rejecting Lady Wisdom's reproof. Your dread will come upon you like a whirlwind, like a tornado that comes and sets down. You didn't see it coming and it destroys your life. You won't be able to learn truth later. There'll be destruction in your life. There'll be an increasing foolishness. There'll be an inability finally to become wise because your own heart is hardened. And ultimately, verse 32, the waywardness of the naive will kill them and the complacency of fools will destroy them. Ultimately, you experience death because this is a moral universe and you're choosing to live your life contrary to how God designed the universe. But verse 33, he who listens to me shall live securely and will be at ease from the dread of evil. God wants us if we're willing to listen and learn and keep realizing that we have foolishness in our thinking and we need to have God continually changing our mind and changing our thinking then we will live a life of trust. Naturally, the word here, to live securely, means to live a life of trust. And we will be at ease from the dread of evil. We won't have to live in fear. And ultimately, that's what we're all looking for. You see, we all have many choices in life. What we need is not more knowledge, but what we need is true wisdom. We need the skill of being able to make wise choices, choices that fit With this moral universe that God created. Where do we get such wisdom? Well, ultimately, lady wisdom is a picture of Jesus Christ himself. He is our wisdom. God's communicated Jesus to us so that we could know truth. So the more you know Jesus, the more wise you will become. You see, life is like a maze. How many of you have been like in a corn maze or walked in some kind of a maze before? When you're in a maze, all you can see is the next corner. You don't know what's around the bend. You don't know if there's a dead end or not. You see, we are foolish. We don't see the whole picture, but God looks down and he sees the entire maze from above. He knows where are the good choices and the good paths to take. And he loves to communicate them to us. How do we get his wisdom? By knowing him, by getting closer and closer to him. And the more we know him and his word, the more wise we will be. In our lives. Well, we want to take communion together now. I want to read a verse and look at read the verse on the front of your bulletins. First Corinthians one thirty, where it says by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. The truth is all of us have lived foolish lives at times, haven't we? I mean, if we're honest, we've lived foolish, but God in his grace provides for us forgiveness through the cross of Jesus Christ. And that's what we want to celebrate now, that Jesus has come to be not only our wisdom, but he's come to be our righteousness, our sanctification, our redemption. So if you've lived a life of foolishness, whatever you've done, God can forgive that and ask you now to pursue wisdom in him, accept his forgiveness And pursue wisdom. So as we pass the bread at this point, let this be a time of confession between you and God, a chance for to get your heart right before God and confess your foolishness and receive his forgiveness as a gift. And then we'll all take the bread together. Let's give thanks for the bread. Lord, thank you. For this bread that represents your body that was given for us, that you died on the cross that we in our broken foolishness might be healed and forgiven. So thank you. We receive this as a gift in Jesus' name. Amen. Christ's body given for you. This cup that represents your blood poured out for us to cleanse us from our sin and foolishness. Poured into us to give us your life, your spirit in us to depend on that we might learn wisdom. So we thank you for your forgiveness. We thank you for your life as represented by this cup. In Jesus' name, amen. Christ's blood shed for you.